Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, Head coaching greats can not only change and maintain a franchise for the better, but they can also overcome adversity, even if it's of their own doing. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, let's go. NFL historians, y'all know if you listen long enough, this is not for you. This is for those that don't know as much. So we're here to enlighten, but please correct me if I'm wrong. I am always here to learn. It's the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy Up Sports, Billy Up Sports Podcast Network, BillyUpSports.com. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. You can find this podcast as well as others in the BillyUpSports.com family, the Billy Up Sports family, on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of those good things. Let's get the references out of the way. UM Sports, Hall of Fame.com, of course, the book I've been reading, The NFL at 100, co authored by Jerry Rice, Hall of Fame wide receiver, and Randy O. Williams. UM Sports, Hall of Fame.com, yes, ESPN.com, UK version. Also, CNBC.com and Cowboys Wire. So, okay, let's. The cat's already out of the bag. This first one we're going to go over, it's not, you, you know who I'm going to, right? What do you all already know about Jimmy Johnson? Matter of fact, what do you not know about Jimmy Johnson? Of course, he played at Arkansas with Jerry Jones, you know, the Cowboys owner. And then also from 65 to 78, he was assistant coach 
in college as well as in high school. And some of those college schools included Louisiana Tech, Wichita State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Pitt, and his alma mater, Arkansas. And some of those jobs included him being a defensive line coach and a defensive coordinator. Of course, he got his first head coaching job for you college football fans out there that know this already. And Oklahoma State from 79 to 83. Of course, in 83, when he left from Oklahoma State to take the job at Miami, the Miami Hurricanes under Howard Schnellenberger had just won their first national championship and Snellenberger steps down. They hired Jimmy Johnson, and the rest is history from 84 to 88. Those five years, of course, that first year, I'm reminded that in 84, they were eight and four, by the way, and he was the recipient of two very painful losses. The first one to the Maryland Terrapins, the Frank Reich comeback game, and the Doug Flutie, Flutie Flakes himself, Hail Mary to Jared Phelan against Boston College in a back and forth game. But overall, he was 52 and nine as a college head coach at Miami. Of course, at 86 and 87, back-to-back championship game appearances in 86, everybody knows that the U should have won against Penn State. If Finney Testaverde does not throw a gazillion interceptions, five I believe to be exact, then uh, Penn State does not have a national championship. They were the better team. They just lost. We know it was the camouflage game, and I'm sure there are plenty of people out there to this day that were very happy they lost that game. 87, they took care of business, won the national championship. But when you say Jimmy Johnson, here's the question. What do you think of? We've been talking about all of these coaches, all of these men that have put their time in as Hall of Famers on the NFL level. Let's review a couple from last week. John Madden, as we know, more so uh, synonymous with the video game that bears his name, was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders for 10 seasons and had the highest winning percentage of any head coach in the history of pro football, winning nearly 76% of his games during his time. Was a very excellent coach he just was done at the end of that at, uh, that run with the Raiders Tom Flores he was the first minority head coach to win a Super Bowl and the man maintained those Raiders after John Madden made his exit Bill Parcells the record the resurrector excuse me of football teams he did it not only with the New York Giants he also did it with the New England Patriots the Dallas Cowboys, and in between that, with the New York Jets of all teams, got them to the AFC Championship game. And then there's Joe Gibbs. First thing I think about with Joe Gibbs as, in all due respect, the head coach of the Washington football team for two terms, that is. The first term, he won a Super Bowl three with three different quarterbacks. How many other coaches can say that? Of course, there's none. And then there's the genius, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh, one of the greatest offensive. At one point, I actually thought, for me, he was the greatest coach of all time. But I don't think that so much now. I think that he was the greatest offensive coach of all time. I will say that. But Jimmy Johnson, what, what do we think about Jimmy Johnson? What do you think about him? Well, coming from me, he was a coach that either you could play, as far as he's looking at you as an athlete, 
or you couldn't play. And if you could not play, you were gone. You were gone. You were out of there. And he was also pretty hard on players, whether they were stars or not. But at the same time, he was cool. He was a fun coach to be under. But you better do what you're supposed to do, period, point blank. Of course, if you go back, we know about 1989. After the 88 season, Jimmy Johnson ends up getting hired in 89 by Jerry Jones, who bought the team uh, after the outs of Tom Landry, who was the coach, the only coach the Dallas Cowboys had ever had since 1960. And they were out with Landry and with Jimmy Johnson, of course. Their first year, they were 1-15. But the key is that this man was an evaluator of talent. And here's the whole thing. I had to write this down because this was one of the few things I had to think about. If you ever watch America's Game, if you watch the story of that first Cowboy team that won the Super Bowl, and we know he only coached there for five years. We talked about Bill Walsh only coaching the San Francisco 49ers for 10 years. For John Madden, who only coached the Oakland Raiders for 10 years. For Vince Lombardi before him, that only coached the Packers for 10 years. But it was the quality, not the quantity. And the man turned the Dallas Cowboys into the 90s dynasty, the 90s Cowboys, in just five years. And they should have won more. They should have won more. But watching that first, that first story about that Dallas Cowboy team, one thing came out. And it was the conversation that they had, well, the commentary by one Michael Irvin, who played for Jimmy Johnson at Miami. And Jimmy Johnson, I mean, Michael Irvin, you could think of him as a snitch. But the year before Jimmy got there, there were players that were not there to win. They were there for a paycheck, period. And he made a list of those players. And he said to Jimmy, you know, allegedly, this guy's not here to win. This guy's not here to win. But here's the thing. You got a bad team. You've got to go. We talked about Chuck Noll in the first episode, the first episode in this series, The Whistleblowers. This is the third one, and it will not be the last. We're going to have a part four people, by the way. And Chuck Noll said straight up back in 1969, the reason why you guys are not a good football team is because most of y'all are not any good. And I'm going to have to get rid of most of them. So only about two players made it to that 74 Super Bowl team, by the way. And Jimmy Johnson had to do the exact same thing with the Cowboys because by the end of Tom Landry's tenure there, uh, his coaching tenure, they were bad. They were old, they were bad, and they had bad habits. They had bad players. Obviously, they were not there for the Ws. They was there for the green. And they had to change that. And that's what you have to do as a head coach is to change the culture. We've talked about that. And that's exactly what Jimmy Johnson did. Evaluating talent at the same time, changing the culture of a franchise. In Miami, he had multiple NFL players that came through there. He had a couple for Oklahoma State as well, but I, I had no idea who any of those guys were. But his recruiting, I mean, it even included guys like Troy Eggman, who he never did land twice. He tried to bring Troy Eggman to to him up under up under his coaching on his teams in college. He was the Oklahoma State coach. He tried to recruit Aikman out of high school. Aikman chose Oklahoma. Two years later, when Jimmy's now the coach at Miami, Troy looking to transfer. Troy ends up 
choosing the UCLA Bruins over choosing the Miami Hurricanes. Man, if, if Troy Aikman was the quarterback instead of Vinny Testaverde, I, I've never said this. I think they probably would have won the national championship at that. Well, but it was the same thing when you look at some of the moves that he made off-season moves. We all know which one we're going to, and that was the Herschel Walker trade. Now, that was evidence enough. And over the five years, they went from 1-15, 7-9, 11-5, 13-3 Super Bowl win, 12-4 Super Bowl win, back-to-back. Well, how did he get there? When you had that Herschel Walker trade, what did he get? What did the team get? I looked at that trade, and it's like, through the trades, the free agency, and the draft, the, the Herschel Walker trade was him being traded away. They're the Cowboys' best player. He was a two-time second-team All-Pro. Running back out of Georgia, you know him, Heisman winner. They traded him to Minnesota, to the Vikings, and the San Diego Chargers were also involved in this trade. Basically, with all of those picks that they got back, let me run them down to you. Basically, Dallas acquired Minnesota's first round and second round picks in 1990, Minnesota's sixth round pick in 1990, Minnesota's first round pick in 91, and their second round pick in 91. Also, their first round pick in 92 and second round pick in 92, and their third round pick in 92. That's basically what they got. And they turned all of these through these trades and their free agency and drafts. Jimmy Johnson orchestrated, and it wasn't all Jimmy, but it was mostly Jimmy. They got Hall of Fame players such as Troy Eggman and Emmitt Smith. They landed players like Daryl Moose Johnston, free agents like Jay Novacek and James Washington, Mark Stepnoski, Alvin Harper, Russell Maryland, Dixon Edwards, Leon Lett, Eric Williams, uh, I mean, Charles Haley, Darren Woodson, Kevin Smith. It was ridiculous what they got back out of all that but you have to get rid of the bad in order to get the good and that's exactly what jimmy johnson did now the story of jimmy johnson is really it's very simple actually he should have coached the dallas cowboys for more than five years and if jerry jones had respected his space more and stayed out of the way which he could not do obviously he can't do it to this day really that team would have turned into even more of a dynasty. They won two Super Bowls. Of course, they won a third. That was Jimmy's team in 95. Let's not get it twisted. Barry Switzer, he was a puppet. But that team should have won more. And you saw the decline the years after Jimmy Johnson left. Now, we know now that Jimmy says, I was leaving anyway. Some people believe that he was trying to get fired. Everybody has their own theories of it. But this is basically some of the story behind it if you don't already know this some of it is well chronicled but here it is simply put so it's the failed toast now when i think about or thought about the failed toast and first heard about it my thinking was that jerry jones and jimmy johnson got drunk at the bar together and they told each other what they really thought about one another that's not true that wasn't what it was that's what i had always thought but the story is actually there's a lot more parts to it but i'll give you the simple version but the crazy thing is three years in 
all the way up to around 1991, if you believe what Jerry Jones said, he was ready to fire Jimmy then. Because Jimmy didn't want Jerry Jones fooling with football matters. We know that. Then there's Jimmy flirting with Jacksonville like he wants to be become their, their uh, head coach. And then there's the sideline visits from Jerry Jones as well as after the big playoff win, he bring, Jerry Jones brings in Prince Bandar. He didn't like that. Now, fast forward to 1993, actually March of 1994, March 21st to be exact. They had just come off of the Dallas Cowboys, their back-to-back win against the Buffalo Bills for the second year in a row in Super Bowl 28 in Atlanta. Couple weeks later, March 21st, the league meetings are being held in Orlando. Dave Weinstadt, North Turner, and then a bunch of other guys, their wives, as well as Jimmy Johnson and a bunch of other staffers that had been fired by Jerry Jones, they're sitting, they're actually having a conversation about Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones approaches the table with a glass, tries to toast him. They look at him like he's crazy. Nobody moved, nobody acknowledged him. Of course, Jerry, he was pissed. He gave him a, a few choice words. He storms off. He gets drunk at the bar, even going on into the wee hours of the morning. And there are some reporters that are around and two of them stick around. Those two reporters, one of them you know his name, Ed Water, Mr. Dallas Cowboy reporter himself, and the other is Rick Gosling. Basically, Jerry tells these guys in a drunken stupor, he's talking to them at the bar, not Jimmy Johnson, and saying that basically he could have coached the team himself. Barry Switzer, I could have gotten Barry Switzer to coach the team. 500 people could have coached the team. Well, the next day, when he calms down, at breakfast, he invites both Warder and Goslin back, and he basically puts it on the record. Jimmy Johnson finds out what he said. They have a meeting, Jimmy and Jerry. There are five options that are given. Fire me, one. Nope, we're not doing that. Two, I quit. Nope, you can't do that. Three, we're going to continue under my present contract. Oh, excuse me, up under our or up under my existing contract. We're not doing that. Four, we can settle this whole thing and just do a split right here now. No. Or five, we can suck it up for one more year. Then, of course, Jimmy supposedly agreeing, uh, Jimmy and Jerry agreeing that Jimmy will have sole control over personnel decisions. I'll do this for one more year and then I'll go wherever I want. That's and this is March 28th. Okay, so let me backtrack a little bit. At one point, Jerry Jones goes home to Arkansas to talk to his parents because he's not happy about the situation. And basically how Jimmy Johnson is not giving him the respect or the credit that he really wants. His parents say, father first, is he not getting the job done that you want done? Jerry, yes, he is. Well, then just suck it up. Use him. His mother agreed, but Jimmy couldn't do uh Jerry Jones could not do it. He basically, from what I've heard, it's been said before, I can make $10 million and nobody cares. But if I make these football decisions and I get this credit, that's what I want. Rich men, they got money. They want something other than money. They have plenty. He's got so much Johnny Walker blue. I mean, he can supply the earth, but he wants football credit. He's always had, and that's been his problem. 
Well, of course, they decide on number five to do the one more year thing. But the problem is the next day, Jimmy Johnson sees a headline in the paper that says, Jerry to Jimmy, commit or quit. Well, so we know about what happened in the press conference where they decide to mutually part ways. And then that was that. But the funny thing is the day before when they was having this meeting, Jerry Jones had called Barry Switzer already. So, and after that press conference, they trashed the contract and Jimmy Johnson got $2 million severance, you know, ashtray money from Jerry Jones. In 95, of course, they won the Super Bowl. And like I said, that was Jerry, uh, Jimmy's team, but you can always already see the deterioration and, and so, and even though they were good, they were a very good team. They remained in the NFC Championship game. They were in the NFC Championship in 94 as well. They couldn't beat the 49ers. But the crazy part about all of that is they have been 4-10 in the postseason since. So, <laughs> of course, Jimmy Johnson moves on to coach the Miami Dolphins. They go to the playoffs three out of the four years he's there. They had two playoff wins. But what's ironic, the Jacksonville flirt lost his final game to those Jaguars 62-7 in the playoffs, and which also proved to be Dan Marino's final game. But Jimmy Johnson, great coach. And I think we all, I think there's not too many people I can think of that would say that Jimmy Johnson was not a Hall of Famer, even for that short period of time. And he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2020, and it happened live on the Fox NFL set. Dave Breaker, the president of Canton, basically came on and told him, hey, you the man, you're in, you're in. That was a beautiful thing to watch. His record, he didn't win 100 games, but that's okay. 80 and 64, 9 and 4 in the playoffs, but he was 7 and 1 with Dallas. Coming up next, the coach of that team that just couldn't get over that final hump. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Right, we are back and we're keeping it moving. Just a little bit of honorable mention. I only have two this week. And the first one is going to be Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil, he was the Philadelphia Eagles coach from uh, 1976 to 1983. And he led them to that 1980 Super Bowl in uh, that loss to Tom Flores and those Oakland Raiders 27-10 in Super Bowl 15. He retired at the end of 83 saying, hey, look, I'm wore out. Of course, he's done the college thing and the assistant thing well before. 
15 years later, he reemerges in 1997 with the St. Louis Rams. First two years don't go very well. Rams fans know that very well. 5 and 11 and 4 and 12. And then Trent Green goes down in 1999. And the grocery boy himself, Kurt Warner, takes over. The Hall of Fame quarterback to be that was sacking groceries. How about that? Well, Warner leads them to a 13 and 3 record. And they beat the Tennessee Titans. I live in Nashville, y'all. Just please understand. They beat the Tennessee Titans in Super Bowl 34. One yard freaking short. I still can't believe that. I still see Kevin Dyson with that Nike gloved hand reaching that. Darn you, Mike Jones. Anyway, it, that was a great win for you Rams fans, all right? He was the coach of the year that year. Then he retired. Then he reemerged again in 2001 with the Kansas City Chiefs. And his overall record, 120 and 109, and winning percentage of 524. Okay, next. So last week we talked about Bill Parcells, Joe Gibbs, and we just got through talking about Jimmy Johnson. Well, that coach that all of them, every last one of them had to beat was Marv Levy and the Buffalo Bills. I did not know that this man was from Montreal. That's where his, well, his family's from Montreal, but he was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. He was a head coach, an assistant head coach in high school and college, New Mexico, Cal Berkeley, William and Mary, this all from 1951 to 1968. In the pros, he was a kicking teams coach. Look, he was a special teams guy. That's where he got his, he cut his teeth with the Philadelphia Eagles. And then eventually he was with George Allen with the Rams when George Allen took over as head coach for LA. He was a special teams coach. I think at one point he was the only special teams coach in the league. And then he was also with Allen with the Washington football team. Then he takes a break from the league. From 73 to 77, he's in the CFL. He's with the he's the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. They win, they go to three Grey Cup. That's the Grey Cups. Those are the Super Bowl for the CFL. Three Grey Cup appearances, they won it twice. Then he's back in the NFL, the league. From 78 to 82. But the problem is, when this is with the Kansas City Chiefs, as a matter of fact. In 82, they were 3-6. and six. During the strike year, he was fired. And then after a brief stint with the Chicago Blitz, midseason, he goes back to the NFL to his final home as a head coach with the Buffalo Bills. They were 2-5. and five. The next year in 86, they did nothing but improve from there. And from 88 to 97, only the San Francisco 49ers had a better winning percentage. And that's saying something because San Francisco was still at the tail end of their Super Bowl dynasty. But at the same time, San Francisco continue, continued their winning ways into the 90s. But as did the Buffalo Bills, they took over the AFC, period, point blank. His career record, 112 and 70 in the regular season over 11 years with Buffalo, including 11 and eight in the playoffs. He was the coach of the year in 1988, the AFC coach of the year, three times, 88, 93, and 95. And one thing I forgot about, even on last week, you don't talk about the, we'll, at one point we're going to talk about championship game play, but in 1988, those Bengals who surprised after being way below sub 500, I think they were four and, I want to say four and 
11 or something like that the year before. I can't remember the record during the 87 season in 88. Then they end up going to the Super Bowl. But they played the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game. So four straight Super Bowls, that's what he's known for. But he's also known as being one of those coaches. I mean, he had he is surrounded. The, he was a special teams guy. But he had so many great players on those teams. Hall of Fame level players as well. Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, Andre Reed, and then the good players like, you know, the special teams guys, Steve Tasker, Biscuit Bennett, Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley. They're, you don't get to four straight Super Bowls without having a great team or being a great coach. Period. You just don't. You really don't. And you can't knock it. I mean, other than Dan Reeves and Bud Grant, those coaches also lost four Super Bowls. Three with the Broncos and one with the Falcons was Dan Reeves and, of course, Bud Grant. But oh, Kirby, by the way, inside, insider, insider. Kirby, I'm sorry about that, those Vikings. But four straight Super Bowls. And the crazy part is, and this is a quote. This is a quote from the Hall of Fame website, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Quote, you have to have balance. I'm talking about three departments of play. Offense, defense, and the kicking game. All three areas are important. It's an oversimplification, but the offense sells tickets, the defense wins games, and the kicking game wins championships. How in the world was he wrong? Please show me the lie. If you want to see it for yourself, just turn on the last couple of seconds of Super Bowl 25, the first Super Bowl that the Bills lost. Scott Norwood makes that kick. I don't know. Maybe Bill Parcells is still in the Hall of Fame. And Bill Belichick's game plan against that K-gun, no-huddle, Bills, fast-paced Bills offense is not in Canton as well. But they make that kick. They win the game and they missed it. And the one time they could have won a Super Bowl, it went wide right. I'm so sorry. And Scott Norwood, he he disappeared from the face of the earth. Levy's overall record, one loss record, 143 and 112. Winning percentage of 561. And the man was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2001. And also the Canadian football hall of fame in 2021 this year that's great next it's week four october 9th 1977 what two months after i was born as a matter of fact the pittsburgh steelers are playing at the astrodome against the houston oilers terry bradshaw hall of fame quarterback breaks his wrist the backup mike kruzek he suffers a separated shoulder. They are out of quarterbacks. So Pittsburgh head coach goes over to his rookie safety, taps him on the shoulder. Hey, man, you're up. It's a 27-10 loss for the Steelers, and the backup safety, the safety, the rookie safety, plays the fourth quarter at quarterback. I honestly did not know that Tony Dungy was a quarterback in college. He played for the Minnesota Gophers from 73 to 76 as a quarterback. He went undrafted. He was picked up as a free agent by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 77. And 
by the way, in that game, they only ran eight plays. Why? Well, the first week of training camp, Dungy actually was moved to wide receiver. He was a pretty decent quarterback in college, passed a little bit, ran plenty as well, but they put him at receiver. That was one week, and he learned eight plays before switching over to safety. And those were the eight plays that he said that he remembered, and those are the only eight plays that they ran at the end of that game. So a lot of us know him as the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and also NBC Sunday Night Football and Football Night in America. That's how we know him. But he's not that far removed from being a head coach because he retired in 2008. So he did play with Pittsburgh in the 70s uh, all the way up until 1978. In 79, he was traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And just as an aside, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had their first measure of success reaching new heights because they were only in the league since 1976. And in their fourth year, they ended up playing in the NFC Championship game en route to Super Bowl fourteen. Well, the Rams beat them 9 to nothing in that game, and Doug Williams was the quarterback. They came close, and of course, the Rams promptly lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. In 1980, he spent training camp with the New York Giants, and then he immediately went into coaching. He was a defensive backs coach at his alma mater in 1980 with the Minnesota Gophers, Golden Gophers. He was with, then he was back with the Pittsburgh Steelers the next year from 81 all the way up to 88. From 81 to 83, he was a DB coach. From 84 to 88, he was the defensive coordinator. Now, they had some problems there towards the end, and there were changes that were going to be made by the coaching staff. And I think that instead of firing Tony Dungy, because Noel was the one that brought Dungy back as the defensive backs coach and elevated him to being the defensive coordinator. It was going to be a demotion back to the DBs coach. He said, nah, no thanks. He ended up going to the Kansas City Chiefs in 89 and spent that uh, from that year until 1991 as with the same job as a DB coach. Then he goes to being the defensive coordinator for the D uh, Minnesota Vikings from 92 to 95. And during that stretch, the Vikings had, at one point, the top defense in the league. Of course, then comes 1996. 1996? He's hired as the second, not the second. In 1996, he was hired as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach, and he stayed there until 2001. Now, Tampa Bay, you have to understand where they were coming from. There are a couple years after that NFC Championship run, not since 1982 had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had any winning seasons or playoffs. Zero, zilch, nada. And even that first year that Dungy was at the helm, they were 6-10. and 10. But that was going to be his only losing season as a head coach. In the six years he was there, they had four playoff appearances, including that 1999, y'all remember the Bird Emanuel rule, the 11-6 loss to the eventual Super Bowl champs. We just got through talking about the St. Louis Rams in the NFC Championship game. But that was not bad. Uh, not having your starting quarterback, Trent Dilfer, and going with your rookie, Sean King. But that defense, that Tampa 2 defense, that both he and D.C. defensive coordinator, Monty Kiffin, put in for that defense, for, for that squad, 
they were putting the clamps on a lot of teams. The offense was eh, eh, eh. I mean, Mike, All Mike Allstott, the fullback, he was an all-pro uh, at one point. You had work done, but you had smallest receivers. It was all right. It was all right offense, but the defense is what carried that team. That defense featured guys like Hall of Famer Warren Sapp, Derrick Brooks, Rondé Barber, John Lynch, Shelton Quarles, Weiss Creek, Donnie Abraham, and Hardy Nickerson. And the offense they were playing against, it was the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf in their infancy when they were flying around. I think they averaged like 23, 24 points a game, something like that. Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, the grocery boy himself again, Kurt Warner. But in 2001, he was fired. I still, to this day, didn't like it. Then they lost in the playoffs once again. And his postseason record, he finished there in Tampa, was 2-4. Okay. Then he gets another shot. The next year, he's hired by the Indianapolis Colts. And, of course, that offense was set. They had Peyton Manning. You know that team. They had Marvin Harrison. They had Reggie Wayne. Adrian James, their offense was set. It was the defense that needed the help. And eventually, they were, and I believe at one point, they didn't draft any offensive players for the longest in the first round. They went defense, and eventually it worked out. Now, by 2005, unfortunately, they were the only 13 and 0 team, well, starting off, only team in NFL history to start 13 and 0 to not go to the Super Bowl. Okay, so they lost to Pittsburgh in that game. Y'all remember the fumble, Big Ben uh, with the chase down to the tackle? Yeah, that game. But in 2006, they got it all back. They were 12-4, and they had the largest comeback in conference game history against the New England Patriots. They were down 21-3. They won the game. In route to Super Bowl 41. Now, I could say it would be a lie that Tony Dungy was the first african-american coach to make it to the super bowl it was actually lovey smith with the chicago bears in the nfc championship game they advanced a couple of hours earlier tony was the second that's not bad and even better i think he'd rather be the first african-american quarterback excuse me coach to win the super bowl as they beat the chicago bears 29 to 17 in super bowl 41 and speaking of coaching first he had many of them. He was the youngest assistant coach at age 25 when the Steelers hired him. He was the youngest coordinator at 28. He was the first coach to defeat all 32 teams. And also, like I said, the first coach to win, uh, first black coach to win the uh, Super Bowl. Now, by this time, Tony Dungy became the third to win the Super Bowl as a player and a head coach. We talked about Tom Flores and Mike Dicka last week. Now, they're the only two to win a Super Bowl as a player, assistant coach, and a head coach. Well, Tony Dungy lines up with them being a player and head coach, winning Super Bowls as head coaches and as a player. Now, his overall record, 139-69, winning percentage of 668. That's pretty high. And he got into the Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2016, the first black coach of the modern era. Of course, Art Shell was the first black coach period to be just hired as a coach as we we know about fritz pollard who was a player and a head coach at one point so that's a beautiful thing coming up next the guy tony dungy and peyton manning had a hard time beating 
Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler, I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. Okay, it's the final segment, and it's a wrap for this part, part three of the Whistleblowers. Part four, for you guys who are wondering, look, it's a shame that is not a, not that many minority coaches, head coaches that we've talked about during this greatest coach of all time. They didn't even get a shot, really, except in, uh, what, 1989? That's when they finally started hiring black coaches on a regular basis. And even now, we know the back and forth about not having enough of them in the league. But it's improving. And next week's show, Whistleblowers Part 4, the final part of this series, we're calling it the Minority Report. And we're going to break it down, break it down. But for now, our last one, as far as the honorable mention, yes, another Steelers head coach. Bill Cowher, we know him on NFL Today on CBS. And I love the way that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Dave Baker, before Jimmy Johnson got that honor. In 2011, Dave Baker showed up on set to inform Bill Cowher, you're in the Hall of Fame. Why? Well, here's a little bit of background on Bill. If you don't know, he was a linebacker in the league for a couple of years. And he played two stints with the Eagles and one stint with the Browns from 79 to 84. And after he retired from playing, after he was done playing, he was an assistant coach immediately. From 85 to 86, he was with the Browns as a special teams coach. He's a defensive backs coach from 87 to 88. And this was mostly up under Marty Schottenheimer, by the way, even his stint as defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs from 89 to 91. I mean, listen, Bill Cowher was the defensive coordinator and you had Tony Dungy as the defensive backs coach. And Marty Schottenheimer, he he should have been in this honorable mention as well. He got teams to the AFC Championship game. He he won a lot of games. That man was a really great coach. It's so I think he passed away what a couple of months ago. Um, that that was uh, that was not great news. But life, life, man. From '92 to 2006, Bill Cowher pretty much carved out his Hall of Fame coaching career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was the coach of the year, his rookie year in 92. And he, like I said, he got into the Hall of Fame in 2011. And he's the second in NFL history, the second head coach to lead his team to the playoffs in his first six years. The other one, Paul Brown. Greatness. His overall record, 149, 90, and 1. And a winning percentage of 623. Including 
12 and 9 in the postseason. Now, before I, I go into it, well, since 1969, the Pittsburgh Steelers have only had three head coaches that really mattered because all the other guys before, they didn't win anything. Chuck Noll took over in 69, Bill Cowher in 92, and then Mike Tomlin took over uh, in 2008. That's all. That's 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 a, that's a solid foundation of coaches. And I believe, I honestly believe that one day Mike Tomlin will be in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I do believe that. One of the hardest things I had to watch was that 95 Super Bowl. We talked about Jimmy Johnson. That was his team. But the last Super Bowl that the Cowboys won was in uh, Super Bowl 30. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, oh, God, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Not really. But, man, I know Larry Brown won the MVP that day. They should have gave it to Neil O'Donnell, quarterback for the Steelers. How do you throw a football? You, you should have just laid it on the ground instead of just handing it to him like he did. Anyway, that was that was a hard loss for Bill. It was great to see him win Super Bowl 40 back in 2005. And that was the team, of course, that upset the Super Bowl favorites, the, the, the Tony Dungy-led Indianapolis Colts. And in 2005, they finished up in Detroit with that Super Bowl. He coached one more season before resigning after 15 years at the helm. That was great. That was great. Well, one of those other coaches... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner that not only the Indianapolis Colts had trouble with, but everybody else had trouble with. Bill Belichick. I know, I know, I know the guy that, that is either love him or hate him. I don't know if there's anybody that's really in between. Maybe I am. I love Bill Belichick personally. But anytime his team was beating up on my Steelers, especially, well, and just, just beating my Steelers. It's just... God darn it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Let me bring it back in, bring it back in. The guy is great. We'll get to the bad stuff in a minute, but the guy's great. Nine Super Bowl appearances as a head coach, six Super Bowl wins, him and Tom Brady and Bob Kraft. That's that's a combo, man. That, that's a combo. I don't care what you say. People don't win games like that for that long. That's not, that's not normal. It's not normal. And then not to mention not the fact that he's got three Super Bowls as an assistant to Bill Parcells. He's got two rings with Bill with the Giants. And then he's got the one appearance with the Super Bowl that the Patriots lost in 31. Uh, what was it? Against the Green Bay Packers. So eight wings, eight total rings. Six as a head coach, that's the most in NFL history. His regular season record, he's won 67% of his games, 280 and 136, and he's still coaching. He's got the most postseason wins in NFL history, 31. In his career, he's won 311 
games. Three-time coach of the year, NFL All-Decade team in the 2000s and the 2010s, as well as the NFL 100th anniversary all-time team. Look, please don't, don't turn it off. I understand some of you don't like Bill Belichick, but just, you know, just, it's, it's history. You know, just, we're, just, we're just talking. It's just me and you. We're just talking. I'm not a Patriots fan like my brother, but one thing I didn't know until much later is that this man was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, he was raised in Annapolis, Maryland, but he was born here in Nashville. This is what I like. This is one of the favorite things that I like. His first job was as a Baltimore Colts assistant under Ted Marchabroda. We talked about that shows ago, but he was an assistant for $25 per week. Who can live, uh, excuse me, live on $25 per week? This is in 1975. Not even in 1975 can you live on $25 a week. And he just graduated from college. $25 a week. Okay, and I quote from the article written by Kathleen Elkins. Quote, Bill Belichick interviewed with Marcia Broda and told him he wanted to work 14 to 16 hours a day and that he'd do anything his boss asked of him. This is Ian O'Connor who's reporting this, by the way, in his 2018 book, Belichick. And he added, quote, Marcia Broda thought the kid sounded sincere enough and took him up on it. The gig, which involved everything from he analyzed game film, he drove coaches around, and he worked with Xerox, uh, Xerox machine. And originally, he wasn't getting a dime. And he said, this is Bill Belichick, that he got three meals, a bed, and a lot of football. And he said, that's all I really wanted at the time. The Colts general manager offered to pay him $25 a week or $21.22 after taxes. But by the end of his 75 season with the Colts, Belichick was earning about $50 a week. Ooh. How about that? Party up in here. And he wanted a raise heading into the next season. He asked for $4,000 salary and a car. And they basically said no. But another team was willing to pay, their, pay him that. And it was the Detroit Lions. And they said that they stole him away with an offer of $10,000 and a new Thunderbird. That's crazy. And this coaching stops. This is in 1977. He was with the Detroit Lions in 78. He was with the Denver Broncos. In 79, he ends up with the New York Giants. And he remained there with the Giants through the 1990 season. He held these positions. Special teams coach, defensive assistant, linebackers coach, and defensive coordinator for the Giants from 85 to 90. Of course, in 1991, he takes the Cleveland Browns job. Now, Let's keep this in mind. The Cleveland Browns were not the, the terrible brownies yet, okay? They had some success in the 70s, vying for playoffs or getting into the playoffs. But from 1980 to 1989, 10-year span, they had six winning seasons and seven times they made the playoffs. Yes, they finished four and five in the 82 strike season, but they made the playoffs. I think they, I think they lost to the Oakland Raiders. The AFC Championship game, they had been in that three of the last four, three or four years around that Marty Schottenheimer coaching regimen, uh, regimen, coaching period. And then, you know, Bill Cowher, he was there for all of this too. And this team, it, it featured a lot of really good players that just could not get over the hump. 
Bernie Kosar, Kevin Mack, Ernest Biner, Webster Slaughter, Ozzie Newsome, Clay Matthews, Frank Minifield. I had all their football cards, by the way. But the funny part is, as a head coach, his first win as a head coach was against the, play, the Patriots. His first playoff win was against the Patriots in 94. 95, they started off 3-1, but then they lost 10 of their last 12. Modell decides to move the team to Baltimore. Belichick is fired. His record in Cleveland was 36-44. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. He had quarterback issues. Bernie Kosar did not want to do things the way that uh, that Belichick was asking him to. He was a risk-it-no-biscuit, kind of the Bruce Arians-type quarterback. And that's not how he wanted to do things. And they clearly didn't have the complete team, although the one time that they did have a pretty good defense to go along with a little bit of offense was the playoff year in 1994. So there you go. He ends up getting fired. They, they was not going to retain him. In 96, he ends up back with Parcells. Of course, they go to the Super Bowl. The Jets, he was with Parcells again from 97 to 99 and was twice the head coach he was interim while they was trying to work out a deal with because Parcells was wanted out of New England after the Super Bowl year and he did get it but the crazy part was the one day that he was the head coach that was when he finally got the job in 2000 for the Jets but he did not want any part of that organization so he says nah I'm not sticking around for this I got a better deal in New England with Bob Kraft, and he gave him that opportunity. And at the press conference that was supposed to be an introductory press conference, he resigned. Of course, in that, the Patriots lost, uh, what, first-round picks? Um, The Jets ended up with four first-round picks, as a matter of fact. And they ended up getting some pretty good players. The Jets weren't terrible, terrible yet, okay? They were actually a pretty decent team. Um, during this what 11 12 year span they were they were decent they got guys like Sean Ellis and Chad Pennington but ironically the Jets made the playoffs six times in that in a 10-year span but there was the Belichick compare that with the Belichick dynasty with New England is no comparison and the crazy part is Keyshawn Johnson had made his exit from New York and ended up with the Buccaneers in 2002, he got him a Super Bowl ring. Okay, so now there's the bad. We have to talk about the bad. We can't leave the bad out. <sighs> Spygate, Deflategate, you know, video cameras and all of that stuff. I mean, if you win long enough, fans are always looking for a reason behind it. And not all of these things prove to be true. Okay, not saying that they didn't do the stuff. They did. But not saying that that's the reason for their winning. That's, it's, that's ridiculous to think that. Okay, it really is. Understand that it, it is uh, some cheating that was going on, but there's a lot of different cheating uh, tactics that's used in sports, period. We're looking at New England because why? They've been a dynasty or were a dynasty for 20 years. But after Spygate, how many more Super Bowl appearances did they have? They went to five more Super Bowl games. And they won a couple, right? And then there's the Deflategate thing. Funny part is, and, and y'all all know about the fact that um, they scored more points, New England did, against the Indianapolis Colts 
in the second half after the ball was fixed. It was 17-7 at halftime when they decided to say something about the ball having less air than it was supposed to. Then they got outscored 28 to nothing. So what's your excuse now? You know what I mean? I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm just giving the facts. And not to mention the fact that players like Aaron Rodgers, it's illegal to have too much air in the ball as well. Aaron Rodgers said straight up, I like more air in the ball. Moving on. Excuses. He's the only one, Bill Belichick, because of Tom Brady. Name me a coach that hasn't. I mean, Hallis, he had Sid Luckman. Paul Brown, Otto Graham. Weeb Eubank, Johnny Unitas, and Joe Namath. Vince Lombardi, Bart Starr. Hank Stram, Lynn Dawson. Chuck Noll, Terry Bradshaw, Don Shula, Bob Greasy, Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, and a little bit of Steve Young. Jimmy Johnson, Troy Eggman. Stop me if I'm wrong. Please, please stop me if I'm wrong. These are just some things that I've heard over the years. And then there's the weak AFC East. But that still doesn't explain all the playoff wins. Because when you're playing in the playoffs, you're not necessarily playing a bunch of sub-500 or 500 teams in the playoffs, right? I understand they've had, what, I think they won like 12 division titles in 16 years at one point. But it's, you're playing against good teams, especially during the Super Bowl. And it's not the Patriots for a problem that the New York Jets, the Buffalo Bills, and the Miami Dolphins went through 24 head coaches. And I want to say 25 because Robert Salah is with the Jets now. That's not their problem. And even last year, the coaching job that the Patriots had from Bill Belichick, no Tom Brady, who won the Super Bowl. <laughs> they won, what, seven games. He won games with a quarterback that threw eight touchdown passes the whole season, Cam Newton. And I know there's no reasoning with fans, but I'm really trying. But in the end, I'll just let the fans argue over this one. The guy's a great coach, period. I gave I could give you facts, including the fact, yes, they did have the cheating scandals. But no coach has led his team to this many wins for this long. I've always said this. What do the Yankees, the Duke Blue Devils, the Dallas Cowboys, the Patriots, Celtics, and the and even LeBron James, what do they all have in common? They won. And they won for a long time. And we just get tired of seeing people on top. So, but what's ironic, Bill Belichick, born in Nashville. That past dynasty was ended by the Tennessee Titans, Nashville, and uh, Derrick Henry in 2019. So, I mean, what can you say about Bill Belichick? What's his stamp on the whole thing? The guy won games in a variety of ways in a with a variety of players and doing it in an era where players change teams more than they change underwear. Not a lot of Hall of Famers there either. So, but he did it with players and is doing it with players who simply, what does he always say? Do your job. He's doing it with players that just do their job. So that's going to be a wrap for today. I love you guys. I love this stuff. Uh, Y'all keep listening and supporting the podcast. NFL historians, get at me. I, I love learning just as much as putting out there what I have learned. But you can catch this great show on the BellyUpSports.com network, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your brothers, your sisters, your girlfriends, your 
your aunts, your aunties, your cousins, your, your baby brother. Look, I need y'all to listen. Listen to the show or I'll find your house. Out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.